From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. You're with Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Podcast for hour number two. We're on TNT, today's News Talk. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. This is the Patrick Henningsen Show live and direct uh, here on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. till 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 4 p.m. till 6 p.m. UK time, and everything else in between. Big thank you to our TNT chat community. I see you guys in there. We are thriving uh, there in our chat community during the program we've had some fantastic numbers uh we sustained even last week uh when we had our guest host joining us right now basil valentine who did a sterling job last week by the way uh covering for us as we are on the road at anarchapoco the epic uh, uh conference down there the anarchist conference uh in mexico oh boy was that uh, was that a scene basil but more about that later um uh ba- ba- <laughs> you know um some of our favorite characters were down there in residence. But uh, uh, Basil, back to the Assange case, because obviously we're going to be talking about this hour. We'll bring on Chris uh, Williamson, uh, former MP. Former, we say former MP. He's probably, uh, if if everything in the world was correct and, and justice was served and there wasn't any election interference, he'd probably be the foreign secretary uh, in a Corbyn government. Uh, would you agree? Well, that would have been wonderful, wouldn't it? Yes. Um, but uh, he was politically assassinated along with Corbyn himself. And we all know why. But uh, yeah, to do the hard pivot to the Assange case, the first thing I want to say is if you go to the front page of The Guardian, which likes to describe itself as the world's leading liberal voice, um, the, the Assange case is given minor prominence uh, their headline is that Michael Gove failed to register hospitality with a donor whose firm he referred for PPE contracts. Now, this is, you know, usual sort of Tory bribery and corruption scandal. But you would have thought that the uh, Assange case merited slightly more importance than latest episode of Tory malfeasance. Anyway, if you go over to the... Uh, right of the screen you can pick up the story uh, where we have a report of the submission by Julian's lawyers uh, which this morning saying that he faced the risk of a flagrant denial of justice if tried in the US. Uh, The Assange published thousands of classified military and diplomatic documents and could be jailed up to 175 years which was described to the court as a grossly disproportionate punishment. Uh, His lawyers, of course, are seeking uh, leave to appeal, a full appeal, uh, which would be an extended case lasting possibly weeks. This hearing is only for a couple of days. There's no jury. Uh, It's all down to the judge. And uh, if he loses this, He hasn't really got anywhere else to go and he could be spirited away to the United States in quite short order. Well, there's a couple of uh, 
Yeah, there's a couple of interesting possibilities there. One is Australia um, is starting to make uh, more significant noises about uh, taking him back as an Australian citizen. Government's been dragging its feet on that uh, for a while. But uh, the Albanese uh, government seems to be somewhat more sympathetic on this issue. The fact we're even having this debate is pretty incredible uh, in itself. Uh, and the other is the, the there are options perhaps with the european uh court of human rights um so there, there there's always an appeal there's always an appeal but the, the bottom line is it's a completely unlawful extradition according to the uh, extradition treaty between the united states and britain i mean that's was made obvious uh, very early on uh by uh uh by Fitz, uh, his QC Fitzgerald uh, and his legal team uh, in previous hearings. So, I mean, it's like it's kind of beyond debate, you know, from a legal standpoint on this, but there's nothing legal going on here, Basil. That's the problem. This is uh, all, all happening outside of, 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 of actual uh, legal parameters. It's completely extrajudicial what's going on with Julian Assange. Your your comments, yeah. I want to go over to Chris Williamson uh, as we have him sure, on the line. Yeah. But well, Basil, I'm pleased to go say ahead. that Mark Summers, KC, also acting for Assange, raised the issue of the what he described as extraordinary plan for uh, Julian's rendition or indeed murder while he was sheltering in the Ecuadorian embassy. Now, if you ask me, uh, any right-thinking judge would throw the case out on that point alone. You can't extradite somebody to a country that is liable to kill him. Yeah, I think so. At the, at the very least, that, that might be a violation of your uh, uh, your human <laughs> rights. Uh, at the very least, I, I want to bring on uh, Chris Williamson. We'll keep you on the line, Basil, as well, if you've got a question for Chris. Uh, but uh, yeah, just to note to our producer, if we're able to bring Chris Williamson uh, on the call right now, uh, we'd like to do that if he's uh, indeed uh, on the line right now. Chris Williamson, former uh, British MP from Derby, now the co-host of Palestine Declassified uh, on Press TV. Fabulous program. I want to get Chris's uh, reactions to what's going on in the high courts in London right now. Uh, Chris, have we got you on the line? Yes, yes, I'm here, Patrick. Chris, thank can you, you so me? much. Uh, yeah, I can hear you loud and clear, Chris. Thank you so much for joining us, Chris. What, what you know? What What are your feelings right now? The 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 Assange final appeal. Well, I think it is the final UK appeal. There might be other appeals, maybe at the at the European level, perhaps. Um, but uh, your thoughts on on what's going on right now? Frankly, I've been absolutely outraged by the treatment of Julian Assange, as I think all right-thinking people have been. It's, it's an absolute disgrace and uh, a total abuse of the process. And you were making the point, and I've made the point, on numerous occasions, Patrick, about the fact that the extradition treaty itself explicitly rules out an extradition process like the one that Julian is being subjected to. And it's very clear. It says that uh, an extradition will not proceed if the request is politically motivated. And as I've said on numerous occasions, what could be more political than exposing war crimes, which is all that uh, Julian Assange has done. I mean, this is, uh, you know, the world's greatest uh, truth teller. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, what, I mean, you know, we've heard these weasel words that have been used by those who are putting uh, the case uh, for the extradition, that the extradition act itself doesn't actually mention those words, but I actually scrutinized the uh, Hansard recording uh, of the debate uh, on it, and indeed that was an issue that was raised by members of parliament, and the minister was very explicit in what he said. 
uh, he more or less replicated the wording of the extradition treaty itself when he said that nobody would be extradited uh, for political reasons. So, you know, this whole process has been uh, operated like a kangaroo court. I am hopeful, though. I was speaking to Matt Kennard earlier today, and he, he was able to uh, get inside the court and listen to the proceedings. And, and he was slightly more optimistic, he said, about the demeanor of the, of the judge uh, in this particular case, because we know that the, you know, the previous uh, uh, judges that have uh, presided in, in Julian's uh, uh, hearings uh, you know, are clearly, you know, not been not been following the the law in any way, shape, or form, and, and just seem to be obeying uh, obeying orders from the United States. Um, but he was a bit more optimistic uh, about the uh, this, this this latest process. So, you know, let's just hope. I mean, there's a, you know, there's a big turnout here. I mean, people are still here. I mean, the process proceedings have ended now, obviously, but there's still a lot of people outside the Royal Courts of Justice here in London, and uh, you know, it's been a very very noisy. Uh, affair all day, you know, thousands of people turning out to show their solidarity with, with Julian Assange and their absolute uh, horror at uh, the way in which the abuse of the process in a so-called democratic uh, country has been uh, has been undertaken. Isn't it extraordinary, Chris, that uh, this is happening right now uh, in the wake of this uh, high-profile story with Alexei Navalny in Russia? Um, every, Russians are being condemned roundly by pretty much everybody in Washington yeah. and Europe, and, yeah. uh, and and you know, yeah. and saying that to, this this sort of thing, uh, you know, would never happen in uh, democratic countries. Uh, but yet, isn't that what's happened for the last thirteen years with arbitrary detention? for the founder of WikiLeaks? I mean, look, Patrick, the, 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 the hypocrisy is absolutely breathtaking. I know that's an overworked, uh, hackneyed phrase, but it really is absolutely breathtaking. You've got the situation here, uh, Alexei Navalny, uh, I mean, commands a very, very small amount of support in, in Russia. I think it's in the order of one or two percent. Um, but the man is, is an extremist. I mean, he's somebody who is, is a racist and uh, an out-and-out -out Islamophobe. And uh, um, I think it was Amnesty uh, who, who removed him from their, uh, 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 the status, so to say, from him as a, as a prisoner of, of conscience. Um, but to you know, hear this outpouring of, of outrage from you know, politicians and the media in in britain uh yeah this is, is, is as i say it is a breathtaking hypocrisy uh when you've got a situation where somebody like julian assange is languishing and has been languishing in belmarsh prison now for what five years and before that obviously in the ecuadorian uh, embassy truly scandalous and uh, you know uh, I, I think it, it really does bring into sharp relief really you know uh, the uh, the unfitness for, for for high office of our uh, our politicians in this in this country because they uh, no we're really doing uh, a, a huge disservice it seems to me to the interests of, of free speech um, and and justice by the treatment that they've um, presided over uh, on uh, Julian Assange I mean you know had we got a different government elected um, had Jeremy Corbyn become the prime minister I mean that would have been one of the very important and positive things that um, he could have done is to have, uh, you know, freed Julian Assange. But unfortunately, with the present uh, incumbents, and certainly if, uh, if uh, Sir Keir Starmer, uh, which looks like he's uh, on course to become the next prime minister, and we know his role in, in uh, uh, when he was the director of public prosecutions in, in, in preventing uh, 
the uh, uh, Swedish authorities from dropping the, the charges uh, against uh, Julian. If you remember, they, they sent a, a memo saying, don't you dare get cold feet. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the political class, I think, uh, on both sides of the, uh, uh, you know, the political spectrum uh, in the House of Commons, although it's not really a, a political spectrum because we're more, uh, more or less in a one-party state now, but, you know, the, the notional sort of um, left party, uh, the Labour Party and the Conservative Party are as one on this issue, and, and it's truly appalling. I want to bring Basil Valentine uh, back on to uh, the call, if we may. And uh, Basil, you've been commenting on this problem uh, in in the British uh, House of Commons in Parliament, uh, with no 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 differences, no difference at all in terms of policy on any major issue between Labour and Conservative. Um, it, you know, where is there anybody? And uh, perhaps you can uh, speak to Chris on this issue. Uh, I don't I don't see anybody uh, defending uh, Julian Assange on this issue on either side of the bench, Basil. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to ask, Chris, do you know if any of your former colleagues from the House of Commons were there today or if any of them, uh, even a single one, has made a, a forthright and full-throated statement in support of Julian? I can't think of any. Well, J J Jeremy uh, Corbyn was here today, earlier, um, and it's very few and far between, it has to be said. Uh, you know, Jeremy has, has, has spoken out uh, more recently uh, since he lost the leadership of the, of the Labour Party. Um, John McDonnell, similarly. Um, but when, when, you know, John and, and Jeremy were in a, a more influential position, uh, regrettably, you know, they didn't, Actually, say well. John didn't say anything, and, and and Jeremy did make a statement. To be fair to him, um, strongly opposing uh, Julian's incarceration in Belmarsh, opposing the way in which he was uh, unceremoniously dragged out of the Ecuadorian uh, embassy. Um, but as I again have said, you know, previously, you know, I would have wished that more people who are now speaking out, and as I say, there's not very many of them in the House of Commons, but I wish more of them had been speaking up when they were particularly like Jeremy and John, when they had a, uh, you know, a stronger uh, uh, position to uh, argue Julian's case from. I mean, I would have liked, for example, to see Jeremy uh, bringing uh, Julian's case up at uh, Prime Minister's question time. I mean, I put down a motion uh, in, the, in the House after Julian had been dragged out of the Ecuadorian embassy. I was hard-pressed to get anybody to sign it. I think there were five MPs in total, including me, that actually signed it. And I think only one of them was Labour, if I'm not mistaken. Now, you'd have to sort of just double-check the records. I may be misleading you, so I may be uh, one or two. But um, I, think, I think from memory, it was a, it was a couple of uh, SNP, I think, um, uh, and a couple of independents and myself, I believe, anyway. But uh, you'd have to just double-check the record on that. But no, people are not prepared at that point in time to put the head above the, uh, the parapet. And what was, again, a, a, an utterly outrageous uh, state of affairs was when uh, the uh, the trumped up uh, charges were levelled against uh, uh, Julian. The allegations of, of sexual misconduct that uh, you know MPs are falling over themselves to demand that he be extradited to uh, to Sweden to face those charges. And I you know I'm very sorry to say you know even Jeremy uh, I mean he wasn't sort of you know joining in the uh, the witch hunt in that sense, but he, when he was quizzed about it, he was saying that that, that Julian should indeed. Uh, face those charges in in Sweden. I mean, of course, Julian did offer to meet the uh, Swedish police 
in the Ecuadorian embassy, but of course, you know, they never, they never took uh, that up, as I understand it. Uh, they wanted him over there, and we know what the reason for that was, so that he could then be on with the uh, extradited from there uh, to the United States of America. Effectively, he's he's being held on a bail jumping charge, uh, dating back to uh, yes. uh, you, you know twenty ten or twenty twenty twelve or whatever. I mean, that case has put, been put to rest three separate times uh, in Sweden. They've got him on this spurious bail jumping charge. They've kept him on ice, Chris, uh, on behalf of the United States at the pleasure of of Washington D.C. This is why Britain's kept him on ice. Uh, they're very close to getting him extradited here. But Chris, it, it it does seem like, although this seems to be going to plan uh, from a U.S. perspective, it's also uh, going to be a huge liability politically when they actually do it, Chris, because it's all well and good that this is languishing in London. But the minute yes. he's extradited, I mean, it really kind of exposes the sham for what it is. Uh, it seems like there's people on both sides of the Atlantic afraid to actually do the final move. No, indeed. I think that's absolutely right. I know the plans are already uh, in train, you know, to take the campaign stateside should this uh, appeal go against uh, Julian. And, you know, if he is extradited, you know, pray God that that doesn't uh, happen. But you're right, you're right in terms of the, you know, the bail jumping charge. I mean, absolutely outrageous. Again, you know. You know, he got a year uh, sentence for that. Totally uh, unacceptable, in my view, uh, to have had any sentence imposed on him because, you know, uh, very legitimate grounds. He was seeking uh, asylum, for God's sake. You know, you, I mean, you, you, know, you shouldn't be penalizing uh, people in law, uh, uh, you know, for seeking uh, asylum. But then... No, absolutely. So I think we lost the line with uh, Chris there. I'm going to go back to Basil Valentine, trying to reconnect uh, Chris Williamson uh, from the studio. Uh, but Basil, uh, so the, the the pedigree on this case, uh, it, it, it never added up from the beginning. Uh, and it seems to be at every turn, uh, there's like apologists uh, for what's clearly uh, a complete abrogation of international law by the United States, uh, by Britain. Um, your thoughts? Well, I'd, I'd like to know whether the Americans really feel under any pressure as a result of uh, the vote by the Australian Parliament that Julian should return there and be released, whether there is any diplomatic pressure being applied by the United Kingdom or whether, uh, you know, we are happy to simply go along with whatever the Americans demand, uh, it's going to boil down to the judge's interpretation of the extradition treaty. As Chris said, political extraditions are prohibited. Um, and this clearly is one. The espionage charges suggest that, in fact, he was uh, was claimed to have acted in, in uh, opposition, you know, in a way that compromised the United States uh, military personnel. That's the claim that his actions endangered the lives of servicemen in Afghanistan and Iraq uh, by uh, exposing the shoot to kill orders from the helicopter way back in 2007. You know, I mean, quite apart from the fact that, of course, the Americans were there on, based on a lie in the first place. Uh, I mean, you know, so um, we have sort of crime layered on crime these days but um no, that was shot to pieces that, that those accusations by uh his his defense team uh back in 2020 i mean they did that in full view i can't believe that didn't have any impact 
um, on on the ruling. Uh, but really, uh, I'll bring Chris Williamson back. I think we've got him back on the line. Yeah. Um, if anybody, if anybody put U.S. servicemen in harm's way, or in British or American uh, agents, uh, is probably Luke Harding, uh, the great uh, the great fantasist who works uh, yes, for indeed. the Guardian who uh, basically disclosed that uh, password, um, which gave access to those files, the thing that uh, Julian and his team did not do, that they went to every length to warn uh, yeah. the Americans about that information. I mean, it's extraordinary if you think about who should be in the dock right now. Uh, shouldn't, exactly. shouldn't it be some like, someone like this clown, uh, Luke Harding, who calls himself a journalist? Chris, go ahead. For, for sure, absolutely. Uh, Ian, Ju Ju Julian, uh, you know, WikiLeaks were, were, were scrupulous to uh, ensure that they didn't put anybody in harm's way. And indeed, uh, you know, the whole premise of uh, WikiLeaks was uh, in, in regards to kind of war crimes and so on, was to you know, alert the public to you know, the, 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 these terrible atrocities that were being done in our name with, you know, with a view to try and to, you know, stop them, as it were. But they did absolutely nothing to uh, put, put anybody in, in harm's way, uh, unlike the character that you've identified in Luke, Luke, Luke Harding. But just in terms of Julian's treatment, though, look, the man is being tortured here. This is shocking treatment. Um, I mean, you know, he had that sentence, which was unjustified, but he served the sentence. And, uh, you know, he should have been released. And uh, he was deemed to be a flight risk. And that was uh, why they, uh, they, they, you know, they detained him, uh, you know, torturing him in solitary confinement in the high security prison of, of Belmarsh. But look, they could have easily released Julian, even if they wanted to put, place restrictions on him, could have, you know, placed him under some sort of house arrest. They could have a tag on him. They could have monitored him, you know, where he, where he was. There's all manner of things that they could have done, uh, you know, to uh, avoid him being detained in this high-security prison. His, his health has suffered massively as a consequence, both his, his physical health and, of course, his, his mental health. And whose physical and mental health wouldn't be affected by the way in which he's been treated? You, you know, you've got to admire the man's resilience. I, you know, he is a true international hero. Uh, and it brings absolute shame on, on Great Britain on, 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 and on the United States who, who have been pursuing this man the way, way in which he's done. Uh, you know, the political class, you know, have a hell of a lot to answer for. And uh, hopefully in the fullness of time, these people will answer. But what are their real crimes? Are there crimes in the way in which they've treated Julian Assange, but also the crimes, the war crimes that they've presided over in uh, places like Afghanistan and Libya, in, uh, in uh, Iraq and other places as well. Um, you know, what a topsy-turvy world in which we live. It, it really is shocking. But, you know, people are rallying to uh, Julian's uh, course. And... Um, you know, it's very, very clear that, you know, the political class do not speak for the people, either in uh, Britain or indeed in the United States of America. Uh, Chris, you mentioned uh, Alexei Navalny earlier. Do you think that uh, there could be some pol real political pressure building, uh, on, at least on, on the British side of the Atlantic, uh, maybe to perhaps, I don't know, uh, release uh, Julian uh, with an ankle bracelet or uh, in some other way, or even release him full stop because of the optics uh, in comparing, you know, the the Western sort of justice system with, with the Navalny case. Uh, it would be a huge own goal, again, for the British and the Americans to be seen to be guilty of the very thing they're accusing the Russians of. Do you think there's any real political pressure there, or is this is this a done deal? 
Well, I mean, I think there's certainly a pressure point that we need to exploit, uh, for sure. Um, I mean, clearly the optics are very, very, very bad. Uh, sadly, of course, the corporate media has been falling down in its job in actually reporting the truth. I suspect, uh, you know, uh, we'll see very little in the uh, mainstream media. Well, so far, we've seen very little uh, in the mainstream media, you know, the corporate media, the legacy media, uh, about Julian's uh, case. Um, and, you know, when they have uh, covered it, you know, they've covered it, you know, in a, in a, you know by the way they've referred to Julian, you know, in very, very pejorative terms in the past. So, yeah, I mean, you know, for those people that rely on the uh, the legacy media, uh, you know, they will be, uh, you know, ignorant of the reality. But the thankfully, you know, platforms like yours, uh, Patrick, and, uh, you know, the advent of, uh, you know, the plethora now of, of independent media outlets and, the, you know, the growth in social media, which is not a panacea, but it is a another tool in the locker, as it were. People, just as we're seeing in, uh, in Gaza right now, you know, people uh, know the reality. You know, they see the reality on their smartphones, on their, on their laptops, and they know that the corporate media, they know that the political class are lying through their teeth. And the same is absolutely true for the way in which, uh, you know, Julian's uh, case has been uh, reported on and spoken about by the political class and by these, by these jokers who, who, you know, who claim to be uh, journalists. I mean, they, they bring shame on your uh, very honourable profession, uh, Patrick. But, um, you know, as I've said, I mentioned uh, earlier, you know, we have people like Pat, uh, uh, Matt Kennard uh, here, you know, who, who is, uh, you know, an, an honourable uh, journalist, as it were. And, uh, you know, um, it's people like that who we need to, to look to. And, and they are getting, you know, more and more traction. So, yes, it's a pressure point and we need to exploit it. Um, whether it will be sufficient, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm slightly sceptical on that. But, you know, again, going by what uh, what Matt was saying, you know, just you know, Bessie can assume, you know, he can can guesstimate in his circumstances. He seemed a little bit more hopeful, a little more optimistic about the, you know, about the judge in this uh, particular uh, uh, hearing that he's been hitherto. So let's see. Um, but we, yeah, we need to use every uh, pressure point uh, that we can to to gain justice, really, because you know, uh, this is in everybody's interest. You know, this is not just about one man, Julian Assange as important as that is, but, you know, the principle here is so crucial as well. I mean, you know, if they are successful in extraditing Julian, you know, we all lose. I mean, Julian is paying the absolute price, of course, but we all lose. Uh, and it's a very, very dangerous, slippery slope on which we're on at the moment. And, uh, you know, uh, Julian's release, it seems to me, you know, is crucial to, to stop the descent. No, it is. It absolutely is. And uh, thank you, Chris Williamson, for uh, being there on this issue, as you have been uh, really from the beginning. Uh, so our hats off to you. Appreciate you coming on to TNT Today's News Talk for, for commentary on, on this story. And uh, we'll talk to you very soon, hopefully, uh, and catch up on the Gaza issue. I yeah, look forward yeah, to that. Good. But uh, take take care, Chris. Thanks, all, mate. Appreciate that. Thanks a lot. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. And uh, great, great segment. Uh, great to have Chris weigh in. Really appreciate that. Uh, thank you to our team at TNT for arranging that. Uh, fantastic commentary. Look, we're going to take a break right now uh, with the network. And when we come back, uh, we're hopefully going to connect uh, with Blake Lovewell, our contributor uh, on the other side. Uh, hopefully we'll get that arranged. In the meantime, I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. We'll be back after these messages. TNT's Hervoy Morich. Putin said Biden would be a better U.S. president for Russia than Trump and dismissed concerns over his counterpart's age and acuity for the role. Um, so maybe he's af afraid of that label again of Russian collusion, Trump, Putin, uh, and whatnot. 
But, you know, he's made the statement in the past that it doesn't matter who's in the White House, left or right, Democrat or Republican. Once the president gets in, um, men in black suits show up and tell tell him what to do. Pervoy Morich on today's News Talk TNT. The Irish government is proposing a law known as the Hate Speech Bill that threatens free speech. This law could have dire consequences for our democracy. Next week, next month, next month, and then on to the next week. This law will have uncertain effects on artistic and musical expression. Please support us. It could stifle the activity of public campaigning on political and civil issues and also curtail speech relating to topics about religion, ethnicity, sex and gender. You could even be jailed for possessing documents, cartoons or memes on your devices, even if you never read them or intended on sharing them. Mere possession could make you a criminal under this law. Help stop this law. Visit www.freespeechireland.ie forward slash take action to bin the hate speech bill. It sounds really good. It sounds real, dude. not bad, huh? This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back, folks. I'm Patrick Kennington, your host. Great to have you with us here on Tuesday. Great to be back in the studio and back with our team. And we have a great team. Uh, One of them is Basil Valentine. He's our roving correspondent on so many key issues, uh, not least of all uh, the the Middle East. Uh, I want to bring him back on the line and a great uh, discussion with former British MP, Chris Williamson. And Basil, isn't it extraordinary uh, how uh, people like Corbyn, uh, like like Chris Williamson, uh, who were effectively booted out of their party, uh, but especially Chris um, has really kind of taken the bull by the horns and become a leading voice on like one of the most incredible and key issues of our time, which is uh, the Middle East. Um, so, but you see this a lot, Basil, which is the uh, people moving out of politics, uh, and into media, not always, not always good results there. Obviously, Fox has this really rancid uh, revolving door, uh, as does MSNBC and CNN with the White House uh, and the swamp in Washington. But uh, Chris is one of those uh, exceptional cases uh, where he's really been a force for good, a force for justice internationally, especially with this program, uh, Palestine uh, Declassified, uh, which has been, I mean, the timing is uncanny when they started that program, and they're they're absolutely poised uh, to be one of the leaders uh, in analyzing uh, the situation as it was unfolding post-October 7th. So bringing all of that political acumen, bringing all of the uh, the resources, the contacts, uh, the knowledge uh, on those issues, and then really hitting the ground running on this. I can't say uh, how uh, you know I- invaluable uh, David Miller and Chris Williamson's contribution has been um, on this issue. Both of them with their own uh, you know battles to fight uh, politically, and they haven't really lost a step through the whole process. Basil, uh, your thoughts. Yes, uh, our colleague Pally Neroth-Taylor was making a similar point earlier today, which is that the brightest and the best have moved away from universities and indeed the House of Commons and now operate almost exclusively on the Internet. Uh, You know, the House of Commons 
is populated by yes men and women who in almost the majority of cases now have only rarely had a job outside of politics. They work as researchers for existing MPs and then subsequently election agents and uh, occasionally as journalists, but uh, never really get their hands dirty in the real world. Uh, and uh, because they are insiders, party apparatchiks who know the right people, they get promoted and you end up with a House of Commons of the most desperate mediocrity, particularly when you add in the, you know, dare I say it, women only shortlists and promotion of other minorities simply because they are members of that minority, um, which is all very well. But, you know, we've now got a House of Commons, which is, I think, far and away the lowest calibre of individual in my lifetime by a long, long way. I mean, to think that in the 1970s, uh, there were people like Brian McGee, the philosopher uh, in the House of Commons, and then subsequently uh, men of tremendous principle, uh, moral clarity and intellect like Tam DL uh, from the Labour benches and uh, on the Conservative side. Well, you know, I would even say that the you know, the Heath Thatcher cabinets, not Heath, of course, and not Thatcher herself, but people like William Whitelaw and uh, someone from my old personal alma mater, Douglas Hurd, you know, these people were of gravitas, you know, even the bombastic Michael Heseltine uh, had some charisma, you know, against now these absolutely insipid characters uh, of which uh, Chris Williamson, of course, is not one. Um, so, yeah, the, the you know, David Miller, of course, has been uh, was sacked by Bristol University. I'm intrigued to find out whether or not, as a result of the ruling the other week, he's going to get his job back. Uh, that'll be interesting to see. But uh, he now effectively operates on the Internet, as does Piers Robinson, uh, as does Chris Williamson. You know, universities have become moribund places as well. There is uh, no one at any university in the UK who will tackle 9-11, for example, this seminal epoch-defining event. Uh, yet you would struggle to find a single researcher, let alone accredited fellow at any major educational institution in the UK who challenges the official narrative, even though uh, tremendous intellects like the late David Ray Griffin and Peter Dale Scott, amongst others, uh, Jim Fetzer, another one, of course, lots of very well-credentialed retired academics can completely take apart the official narrative. You won't find anyone uh, with a job uh, at a university at the moment who's uh, willing to do so. So, yeah, uh, the desperate condition of our so-called intellectual social life and political life has got very much worse over the last 25 or 30 years no that's uh that's an understatement of of, of the year uh, if there ever was one uh and you know it's interesting as as they push these people out um so so many of these cases at least in the last couple of years in terms of who's been i mean most recently i think kate awesome 
uh, shadow minister for labor department. She she was pushed out. How many of them have been booted uh, under the spurious accusation of anti-Semitism? I mean, if you look at the Labor Party as a case study, you're talking about uh, basically all the top, most highly rated, most popular members of that party have been basically kicked out of the party under spurious accusations of, quote, anti-Semitism. Is this not a case of, and I hate to 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 harp on on this basil but there's all these accusations about foreign interference in our democracy foreign interference election interference russian interference russian influence in our elections etc uh but this is an absolute iron clad case that there's a foreign country or a foreign lobby that has totally reshaped one of the major political parties in the entire western political sphere we're talking about the uk Labor Party. I mean, that to me is one for the history books, if there ever was one. Your thoughts, Basil? Well, the expulsion of Labor members for so-called anti-Semitism is exclusively for Labor members who are anti-Zionist. It has nothing to do with anybody who has criticized or attacked Jewish people or the Jewish religion. Uh, it refers only to people who have been expelled for their anti-Zionist beliefs. Now, a few years ago, an exclusively Jewish organization was set up within the Labour Party called Jewish Voice for Labour. The Jewish Voice for Labour is an anti-Zionist Jewish group. So as far as the corporate media are concerned, it simply doesn't exist. 57 members of Jewish Voice for Labour have been expelled by Keir Starmer's Labour Party for anti-Semitism. 57 Jewish people have been expelled by Gentiles for anti-Semitism. Obviously, this makes no sense. They've all been expelled because of they are because they're anti-Zionist. And of course, in all true witch hunts, uh, some of them have been expelled not for anything they themselves said, but simply for supporting other people who've been expelled. And, That's and the to way be, the witch to, to, to be more specific on that, there's even uh, some of the people you mentioned who've been expelled. Some of them are actually Zionist, but they're pro-Palestinian, i.e. they support Palestinian human rights. They still believe in the uh, state of Israel, but they support pal basic Palestinian human rights. So even Zionists, Basil, are getting expelled from labor because of their support for the native, uh, the human rights of the native uh, Palestinian population uh, in, in, in the Holy Land. There, that 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 is just extraordinary. But that's actually the situation right now. That's right. Well, you know, Starmer took uh, whacking great donations for his fraudulent campaign to become leader of the Labour Party, where he lied through his teeth about who he was and what he would do. They took a large donation from Trevor Chin, uh, leading Israel lobbyist, as have uh, many others. I think 40% of the shadow cabinet have been funded by uh, Israel lobbyists. Finally, we're allowed to talk about this sort of thing without being, well, you'd still be accused of anti-Semitism, but I mean, it becomes completely meaningless at this point. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the few good things, dare I say, to have come out of the abysmal, you know, heart-rending situation in Gaza is that uh, Israeli influence in both British and American politics has been increasingly exposed. 
Chris himself was expelled simply for saying that he thought the Labour Party had been too apologetic uh, when uh, discussing the bogus claims of anti-Semitism. I mean, Corbyn made the mistake of giving ground way back in 2017, 2018, of apologising, of admitting that there was a problem. That was his main mistake. There was, you know, the whole thing was a confection made up, a scam, uh, made up out of thin air, right, you know, from its very inception. But uh, a lie, if it's often repeated enough, um, can convince people, you know, when it's amplified by The Guardian, which played an absolutely disgraceful role uh, in uh, promoting the uh, the scam and the lies and the smears and all the rest of it. You know, people start thinking, oh, well, there seems to be a lot of smoke around this. There must be some fire. Uh, and, and of course, it was well known at the time that there were uh, senior members of the Labour Party like Chris and Jeremy Corbyn who were openly critical of Israel. So, uh, you know, although none of them had ever said a single thing, in fact, Jeremy had a particularly good relationship with the Jewish community in his Islington constituency. He's often photographed with them, attended Jewish events and so on and so forth. Uh, he was even attacked for anti-Semitism for attending a Jewish community event because it was with the wrong kind of Jews, with an organisation called Judas, who are uh, you know critical of Israel. So, uh, yeah, the whole thing resulted in the neoliberal, neocon, Zionist takeover of the Labour Party wholesale, uh, which has brought them to their knees, I'm pleased to say. Uh, it's incredibly unpopular, the stance the party's taken on the genocide. And the result of that is likely to be a thumping great win for the new-ish party that both Chris and former MP George Galloway now belong to, the Workers' Party of Britain, who are set to win the Rochdale by-election. Uh, the uh, Labour candidate, of course, in the latest twist in this nonsense, Azhar Ali, was disowned by the Labour Party for saying that um, Israel had foreknowledge of October the 7th. That apparently is an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory and enough to get you denounced by the Labour Party. I mean, it really is like the days of Joseph Stalin, you know, one wrong thing. Even though that uh, belief, that theory uh, that Israel allowed October the 7th to happen in order to initiate the grotesque ethnic cleansing and genocide we're now watching, even though that has been widely reported in the Israeli media itself, and given considerable credence by all sorts of well-accredited commentators. Nevertheless, if you say it, if you're a Labour Party candidate, that's it. Your, your career's over. Yeah, incredible, incredible. And uh, hopefully we're going to connect uh, uh, Blake Lovewell uh, just uh, shortly here. Uh, hopefully our producer will be able to bring him onto the call. Uh, Blake, of course, is, uh, well, we're told anyway, he's been on the ground uh, in London uh, with the uh, Julian Assange uh, demonstrations there in support of the WikiLeaks uh, founder. Yeah, but it is, it is a pretty extraordinary uh, state of affairs. Uh, on the Rochdale uh, by-election in the UK, George Galloway running, as you said, uh, Basel Workers' Party of Britain. Uh, what are the odds makers saying on Galloway's chances uh, in this election? How many weeks out are we, a couple weeks out for before the vote? 
that's right. We're we're about nine days out. I think it's February the 29th, extraordinarily enough, uh, that it takes place. And uh, following the withdrawal of official Labour Party support from Azhar Ali, well, you would expect his support to disintegrate because should he win Ali, he would appear on the ballot as the Labour candidate. But if he wins, he has to sit as an independent. Uh, but, you know, ironically, um, his being disowned by the Labour Party may actually increase his chances of winning. So unpopular uh, is the Labour stance on Gaza in a constituency which has more than 40% Muslim electorate. So if you'll just bear with me, uh, um, Galloway was available at the extraordinary odds of 18 to 1 when the first uh, book opened. I managed to have a small wager on Galloway at uh, about six to one. And the latest price for Galloway is that he's the six to four on favourite. So in other words, he's given a 60% chance of winning by the bookmakers, uh, with bizarrely the odds on the Labour Party shortening up again <laughs> on, on, well, I say the Labour Party, on the Labour candidate as our Ali, shortening up because he's been disowned. He can now run as an independent, you see, and, and himself disown uh, Labour's very unpopular stance. It's really extraordinary stuff. So, uh, you know, we'll okay. see. I hope Galloway wins because he will really put the wind up in Parliament. You know, sure. that's the point. He'll well, say we things Blake, that nobody we... else dares say. Absolutely. We're going to keep a close eye on that. We'll uh, rely on you, Basil, to give us updates on that <laughs> definitely important race there. I think we have Blake Lovewell on the line. Let's bring him straight in, actually. Uh, if we don't mind, producers, we're going to skip the break uh, because of the connection issues that we had uh, with getting Blake on the program. But let's, bring, let's bring on Blake Lovewell. Uh, hopefully we have him on the line um, straight away. But uh, yeah, if he's available, uh, let's bring Blake Lovewell uh, onto the call. Uh, so, Blake, uh, we're told uh, that you were uh, in London uh, uh, on the front lines there of the Julian mm -hmm. Assange demonstrations. Uh, just uh, give us your thoughts and observations on uh, on what you saw and what you heard. Yes. Hey, uh, it's great to be with you. Sorry, I can only only just got here. Uh, literally just got in this minute from London. Uh, mad dash back out of the city. But it was an extremely spirited demonstration. The uh, feeling was overwhelmingly positive in the face of great adversity. Uh, I mean, Stella Assange was on the brink of tears uh, talking to the crowds there, uh, enthused by the uh, support that was there. Uh, all the lawyers were there. Um, Gabriel Shipton was there, his brother and his dad was there as well. Um, but as well as that, it was, um, uh, I don't know if it's been reported, but it was definitely the largest demonstration that uh, one of these court cases has had. Uh, hundreds of people filling the streets of London outside the Royal Courts of Justice. Um, I actually managed to get inside the Royal Courts of Justice, uh, which was a novel experience. I had a fork in my rucksack, which was confiscated on the door uh, for my part of my packed lunch, but uh, made it in. Uh, but even then, um, the public tickets were completely full. The public gallery had already been filled 150 
50 seats within the first few minutes, um, just showing you the amount of uh, public support and pressure there is. So um, if you want to get into the public gallery, I recommend you get right to the front of that queue, which is hard to get through all of the uh, banners, uh, protesters, singers, even a couple of uh, artists doing paintings, um, all sorts of leaflets. I met people from France, Italy, um, South Africa, uh, Germany, all sorts uh, from all walks of life. Um, you know, that this issue clearly brings people together. Um, uh, you know, Assange's plight, um, be they journalists or be they uh, cryptocurrency enthusiasts, you know, you had a bit of everything there uh, and all ages too. So, yeah, I've I got to say it was a, a real pleasure uh, to be able to go into London today, um, even though the journey back was uh, a little bit stressful. And uh, and you talked about the uh, the the court inside. Uh, did did Julian actually appear physically, or was did they bring him in uh, via video link? Video link. Um, I'm not sure if he will be able to attend tomorrow. We were told, you know, we were reliably informed. Uh, I talked to a guy who'd spoken to Stella directly, and she's uh, she said that uh, Belmarsh um the uh you know the highest security prison in the uk they have the decision whether to allow their prisoners to leave to attend court cases and they made some con convoluted argument uh, along with serco the private prisoner transport mm -hmm. uh, company that they weren't willing to transport somebody um given the circumstances um it's very nebulous as to whether that's a valid claim or not and i think i believe that's one issue that was raised in the royal courts of justice uh today was whether the um accused can stand to face uh his accusers um and so i don't think julian appeared today he definitely didn't appear in the morning session uh he will have appeared by video link um we were told uh early this morning that his health is not in great shape he broke a rib uh coughing as he has uh various different illnesses uh trapped inside prison with no access to sunlight um so his health isn't in great shape but that wasn't going to stop him uh it's belmarsh the prison service but, you know, they're being leaned on by their higher ups. We know, uh, you know, the news has come out from Declassified UK about the judge. Uh, the judge's spouse uh, gave Boris Johnson a loan of £800,000 um, not very long ago. Um, so that kind of shows you the uh, incestual relationship between the judiciary and the executive branch in the UK. And similarly... Belmarsh prison part of the justice system should be independent and able to provide transport. I mean, whilst we were there, another Serco uh, prisoner transport van did turn up. People were kind of knocking on the window, hoping Julian was inside trying to say hi. But instead, this other random prisoner got everybody's uh, welcome. But um, yeah, we'll see tomorrow as to whether or not um, Julian's able to come in court but we know that if he does it will cause a massive upsurge and an upswell in the crowds there um, only pushing this case to a higher level and uh, yeah I really get the feeling at least in the in the public eye this is reaching uh, its its um, its apex um, and the amount of pressure coming from the Australian government, uh, the Australian parliament, um, you know, all different type of journalists, NGOs, reporters without um, borders, uh, Penn International as well, um, all sorts of different groups coming together. And this is the focal point for them. And, and like I say, the biggest uh, protest we've seen on the streets. No, it's uh, it, it is quite a spectacle. I think this is uh, at least the least the least that we can do, uh, the least the public can can do to to raise awareness. I wanted to ask you this though, uh, as you were loitering outside of the uh, royal courts there with the thronging uh, support mobs, 
uh, did you see any mainstream media outlets there, or was it just foreign international, foreign language media? Where, where, did you see any of the mainstream in there? Yeah, where, and, there. Yeah, yeah. There was a big press gang. I would say at least twenty major outlets. You can judge by the size of their camera and microphone setup. Um, I. Um, so I know that multiple foreign news networks were there, uh, including NHK News, the biggest one out of Japan. Um, there was various different ones. I think some South American ones made it there. So I think it's made big news worldwide. And then um, it was told, it was announced to the crowd. Um, I'm not sure uh, whether this intelligence is true or not. The, the BBC had attended. They had a, a blank microphone and no identification to show that they were BBC, but upon being questioned uh it it came out that bbc were in attendance we'll see whether that reportage that footage and um commentary comes through onto the bbc's um you know websites and and media um output or whether they continue to censor by um abstaining or you know not covering this story as they have done throughout um julian's uh over a decade uh, long plight um but yeah there was a massive um amount of press um all around the royal courts of justice for this um which was very you know kind of surprising to see because usually you get a couple and maybe the smaller ones um i'd also say there was a very impressive um outfit from tnt there uh, met Sonia from TNT and also met uh, one of our favorites from the chat. Holly was there. So got to give a shout out to Holly representing wearing the TNT t-shirt. Uh, so that made me, uh, you know, proud to, you know, represent the TNT brand there too. So there was a, uh, whilst the mainstream media may not be covering this, we know that TNT's on the ball um, and the independent media out in full force. Um, everybody, you know, Chris Hedges, all sorts of different uh, uh, people there and covering it live on the ground. Jeremy Corbyn, um, you know, the whole gamut of uh, uh, the Assange support was there. So that's great. Absolutely great to see. No, it is. It is. And uh, yeah, of course, uh, TNT has uh, brought a, a good operation there to cover this. Uh, sensing not only that's important for the free press, uh, but uh, after all, Julian is one of Australia's own uh, decorated mm -hmm. journalists from Australia. So uh, TNT is leading that conversation, speaking up uh, on behalf of uh, their favorite son, Australia's favorite son, and a great journalist and publisher, uh, uh, Julian Assange, uh, on this issue. So uh, at least somebody is, uh, even if it's not the Australian Broadcasting uh, Corporation or uh, any of the mainstream uh, media outlets down under that seem to have dropped the ball on this story a long mm. long time ago um and so like in terms of the uh the support right now uh throughout the week what's the schedule uh like what's what's on tap for the rest of the week with this um wh when are they gonna have their their sort of uh, final day uh in court and uh what well, about a decision yeah. being rendered well, this is the final time that the UK court system can be used to appeal the US extradition. And the court case is only scheduled to be two days uh, today and tomorrow. Um, given that today fell to some sort of procedural, um, you know, minutiae, they might be able to extend that by a day. Um, however, most of the information we're getting from the um, Assange uh, crew, the Don't Extradite Extra Assange group, uh, is saying that it's a two day case. And I went inside the court 
before, as I say, and saw the writing on a piece of paper, they they still nail the paper to a board uh, with all the court cases. Uh, and we saw um, Assange versus the United States of America um, in, in capital letters at the top of the proceedings. Um, and it was listed for two days. So, um, I mean, we're really expecting tomorrow to be hearing uh, the decision. Uh, and it, it's really on a knife edge. Uh, we really don't know which way it can go. It's there's so much to at stake for you know journalism, freedom of the press, and then the deep state and all the all the wrongdoers trying to cover up you know just uh, quickly. Their war uh, crimes, we're we're you know. coming up to the end of the hour. Are you going to be there tomorrow, Blake? Uh, I'll, I'll see if I can make it tomorrow, but I know that uh, TNT will definitely be there. And if I'm not there, I'll be there in spirit and live streaming it, uh, which you can do through the courts. <laughs> Thoughts, impressions, observations on the uh, Julian Assange case in in the high courts uh, in London. Really appreciate your reportage. No pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It, it was a real pleasure to be there. So yeah, keep the faith. No, absolutely, and also a big thank you to Basil Valentine. Absolutely sterling reporting today on the program, and of course, former British MP uh, Chris Williamson, host of Palestine Declassified on Press TV, an excellent program. You've got a bookmark. Follow Chris Williamson on X Twitter. And you can't follow Basil because he's been banned from the platform. He's appealing that currently, uh, but also you can follow the work of Blake Lovewell at www.wire.com. That's all we've got time for today. Take care, you guys. All of us.